Welcome to the York County Economic Alliance podcast series produced by Bold Creative Media. As York County's official Chamber of Commerce and Economic Development Organization, we're here as a resource center to connect you to specialized funding, business services, advocacy programs, and events to help you and your business thrive. Hello, everyone. This is Kevin Schreiber with the York County Economic Alliance doing another podcast here. Uh, and today joining us is Robert Brooks of D2 Computers. How's it going, Robert? Good. How are you, Kevin? Good. Thanks for joining us today. So, Robert, just for a little bit of background, I guess, tell us uh, yeah, how long you've been with D2 and, and what type of work D2 is involved in. Sure. I've been with D2 for over a decade mm-hmm. and have been in the IT field since 1998. That was a great year. Yeah, it was. <laughs> we got jiggy with it that year, if I recall. Um, it was, I graduated high school in 1998, so it was a great year. Um, so D2, in, in addition to being an incredible, uh, innovative IT guy, uh, D2 actually provides some of the uh, information support to the York County Economic Alliance. So, so thank you, and I apologize for all of those crazy emails or text messages I send when something doesn't work. That's all right. That's called job security. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Nicely done. So today, you know, what we wanted to kind of touch on is, you know, cybersecurity is is obviously something that is uh, constantly in the news, and you know, as time elapses, there's a, another story of another company that is hit with some sort of data breach, um, whether it's nationally or whether it's here locally in the region, and this is something that I'm sure and individual like yourself can stay up at night thinking about or worrying about. Um, But uh, I guess tell us a little bit about for those that may be listening that are not as familiar, and and this is probably where the the verbiage exceeds my capacity for uh, understanding the technological innovation, ins and outs of all this, but what is ransomware? What are the different types of threats that are out there in in the periphery right now that you're kind of constantly staying up to date on? Sure. Well, first off, thank you for the opportunity to sure. talk about this. I'm actually really excited to talk about this because I've heard way too many stories in the news where people just have to pay these ransoms mm-hmm. or they lose all their data. And that's simply unacceptable. Right. I don't I can't even fathom how some of these companies lose all their data. It just it is beyond me. So, I want to give the listeners a way to make sure that doesn't happen to mm-hmm. them. So, I'm really eager to talk about this. Um, ransomware really is probably the biggest problem that we're facing today, mm-hmm. other than direct hacking. And most direct hacking attacks aren't going to be against small, medium-sized business. There's just not enough money there to justify a concerted effort. So really for a small, medium-sized business who has a low profile, ransomware is where you're going to get hit hardest. Um, so basically, ransomware takes the, uh, will infect a local computer, will then go to that local computer and encrypts all the useful documents. Think your Word documents, your Excel documents, your JPEGs, your PDFs. It encrypts them, locks them up, and the hacker keeps the key. So you can't unlock it yourself. Mm -hmm. This is software, encryption software is software that businesses use for legitimate purposes to protect their own documents, but these hackers are using it against them and keeping the key so they can't unlock it. Once the local PC is infected, it not only hits the local PC and encrypts documents it can get to there, but then it scans the network. 
Mm-hmm. It's looking for those network shares that any small, medium-sized business would have, uh, document shares, picture shares, and it will encrypt the useful documents to that, uh, to those network shares as well. That's been the majority of ransomware outbreaks. Now, the most recent outbreak that we're all familiar with is the WannaCry and its variants, which have put a viral spin onto this ransomware, which is really what I've been most worried about going forward. Because in the past, it hit one machine and it would reach out and grab the network files, which we could always get back through backups. The new one is more disruptive in that it actually moves not only against that one computer, but will then move across the network and will hit adjacent computers, adjacent servers, and will encrypt their local documents as well. It's much more difficult to protect against, and your downtime is just exponentially much larger. So, you know, kind of putting this in perspective, if I'm sitting at my computer and, uh, you know, in the office at, at YCEA, I have, I have stuff saved on, whether it's on a desktop, stuff obviously saved onto a shared drive. Does this even affect, you know, if you have things on a Dropbox or a cloud? I mean, does this effectively take over everything? And, and, and what would an individual look for? So if I'm sitting at my computer, knock on wood, everyone can hear that knock. Um, if I'm sitting at the computer and this were to happen, walk me through what exactly happens. What am I seeing? What, what's going on? Yeah, and that's the difficult thing. Typically, the end user is completely unaware that mm-hmm. anything is going on on their local computer because it doesn't really impact performance. You won't know it's it's attacking you until you've gone for a document and you can't open it and it says for it's unreadable for some reason. And usually then you pick up the phone and you call the IT department. We look at it and go, oh, my goodness, we've got encrypted documents all over the network, and now we're looking at where did that originate from. And that can be time-consuming and difficult even to determine which computer picked up the infection. Sometimes users have no idea they've uh, contracted the ransomware because generally you can get it a few ways. One way is through an email uh, and maybe clicking a link or an attachment in there. The links have been getting progressively better in that they look more and more like legitimate links in emails Mm -hmm. for like FedEx and UPS documents or Somebody you know sends you a Dropbox link and you go, oh, there's a document I'm supposed to open up. And, but it wasn't from somebody you knew. It was masked to look that way. You open that link and boom, you're infected. Hmm. The other way too that's been kind of an insidious way is that they will hack a website and just by visiting the website, you download the malware and it encrypts your computer. So it literally could be sitting there lying in wait until you double-click on something, open it up, and then it, it goes. Sure. Even just browsing to a website that maybe a legitimate website might have a hacked ad mm-hmm. on it, and the web host may have no idea until much later. And is this does this typically manifest in that screen that comes up that basically says, you know, pay me X amount of dollars or we delete, and you have a couple minutes to comply type thing. Yeah, exactly. Um, Yeah, you typically have like a day or two to comply. And so you see that screen, it's too late. Really? The the whole network's been encrypted. This is like out of a Bond movie. Yeah, (laughs) pretty much. And and, and that's who we're dealing with, really. We're Mm -hmm. dealing with these villains. Uh, They are uh, criminals, uh, typically in Asia, Mm -hmm. Russia, or the uh, Eastern Europe. So it's impossible, really, for us to actively move against these people. 
So there's really – our hands are kind of tied. You can report it to the local police. They can bump it up to the FBI. But there's generally nothing that's going to get done. Do people really pay? I mean is this like negotiating with terrorists type thing where it just doesn't make sense to pay? Do they get the data back or is it really they, they get it back? But, how, I mean, how can you really trust that they're not going to just do it again next week? Yeah, and that's that's the bad thing. You really can't. Uh, you can't trust these criminals because mm-hmm. that's what they are. And even if the criminal wanted to unlock, sometimes the uh, antivirus vendors and security vendors are actively working against them to shut them down. So let's say you pay the ransom and then midway through on encrypting or decrypting your documents, they get shut down. Mm-hmm. Well, half you've paid and half your documents are decrypted or maybe none of them get decrypted. So it really doesn't make sense to pay. It really makes sense to prepare yourself before you're hit with uh, a few tools, and then you're not negotiating with terrorists. So that's a good segue, obviously. So what are some of those things that, that companies should be doing to proactively prevent against this? I would say the first and sometimes your best defense is a well-educated staff. If they understand how these infections come about, they can often raise the alarm before they click that link or forwarded that email. I've had instances where somebody tried to open the link, and this is what happens when you get this type of infection. You'll double-click the link, and you go, well, nothing happened. Um, I had one employee forward that then to their manager, who then double-clicked the link and opened it up and said, yeah, you're right, nothing happened. Right. Well, now we had two computers that were encrypted, and both of them were simultaneously locking down the network at the same time. Hmm. <laughs> it actually spread to a third user as well. So it was very difficult then to pinpoint who was who was encrypting what. But we managed to get all the data back from a backup on that case. So if your employees are well-informed, they're not going to click the link. They're not going to get hit. Now, you still have those circumstances where maybe somebody does it without thinking or they just browse to a legitimate website mm-hmm. and it's been infected or hacked. So this, the second way to prevent things is through good scanning of your email. And I can't imagine that any company out there today doesn't have antivirus on their email. Mm-hmm. But you want to you want to make sure that your antivirus um, is scanning for a few things in those emails. And not all antiviruses are created equal, and they may not all be configured the same way. They really should be looking for and scanning for bad hyperlinks, and they should also be able to scan inside zip files and they may need to even be configured to scan inside zip files, inside zip files, inside zip files. They may need to be able to burrow through a couple layers of zip files to be able to, con- to really to be able to, to uh, knock these uh, infected uh, attachments out. Is it possible not to deviate? Um, but as you you know, so we all I'm sure have gotten the uh, kind of now cliche spam email from someone asking for our bank account information or something like that. Now, hopefully, at this point, people are, are generally cognizant to realize that that is spam, that's nefarious, there's nothing good that can come of that email. Um, and as you noted at the onset, they're, they're becoming a little bit more sophisticated where it might be USPS, you know, .net or some, some you know, derivative of a, of a seemingly uh, legitimate website. Is it possible for them to push email out from coworkers at this point? So could I get an email from a coworker that is embedded with that that they never sent? I'm just wondering, like, should we be on the lookout for the suspicious email that is even you know kind of using 
your own outlook against you? I would say yes. Okay. You would definitely need to look for that. Uh, they can do that one of two ways. One is that they can simply mask the name that it's coming from. So it may look like it's coming from Kevin Shriver, but if I actually look at the email address, hmm. it's some address that has nothing to do with right. at ycea-pa.org. Gotcha. Uh, the second way is if they set up their own email server, they could potentially spoof your email address. And there's ways to defend against that as well. Uh, for instance, I have some customers who we've blacklisted their own domain through their antivirus slash spam filter. So any email coming from outside the organization with their at domain mm -hmm. automatically gets knocked down. Interesting. Because we know that if it's outside our network and it's coming in as us, it's obviously illegitimate. Hmm. So that's one way to knock it down. Uh, there's also uh, SPF records that you can create, and your IT vendor can work with you to create that. It's probably a little bit too technical to get into this, mm -hmm. but it basically sure. does a check and says, is the location, the IP address that this email is coming from, is it ours? And if not, we reject it. There's certain ramifications you'd want to talk to your IT vendor about when you institute that kind of checking because it's pretty rigorous and it can then block legitimate good emails. So gotcha. talk to your IT vendor. Of course, naturally, as we're doing today right. <laughs> here on the YCEA podcast with Robert Brooks of T2 Computers. We don't have to do a station identification. Well, that's good. <laughs> so are there other things that, that companies should be concerned with or thinking to proactively prevent against this? Sure. So we've talked about educating your staff. We've talked about good email uh, antivirus. Of course, we also still need to run antivirus on our servers and our PCs. And the antivirus of yesterday isn't going to cut it. You need newer antivirus that can actually look at what the individual files are doing. Because what happens is a virus is released into the wild and all the antivirus vendors rush to create a file definition that identifies basically a fingerprint that says, aha, when we see this fingerprint, we know it's bad, kill it. But the new viruses that are coming out are being tweaked every day, even every hour. So that fingerprint gets changed each time just a little bit. So what we're really looking for is heuristics. Uh, your antivirus needs to be able to identify files and go, aha, this file is doing something out of the ordinary. We don't think it's right. Quarantine it. Mm -hmm. So your antivirus needs to be able to do that. And then one of the other things that you definitely want to look at is a good, strong firewall. Uh, and again, the firewalls of yesterday just aren't going to work. The new firewalls can actually break through encrypted traffic, scan that traffic, re-encrypt it, and pass it on. Uh, it takes on a lot of CPU power, and it takes a special configuration on your firewall to be able to do that. Um, but the hackers and the uh, terrorists that are using ransomware are using this encrypted traffic against us. So if we can't break through and we can't scan it, we don't know what's going on. So the next generation firewalls can actually break through that, and that's what we're using here at the YCEA, to break through that encryption, scan that traffic, make sure it's legitimate before we pass it on to the end user. Well, that's interesting, too, because that kind of localizes it. You know, it's uh, obviously you turn on the news or you're, you know, whether New York Times, Wall Street Journal, you're, you're obviously going to see these larger stories, Target, got hit some time ago, mm -hmm. um, you, you know, so we're seeing these national companies that are that are under attack. But to localize it, I mean, are you actually seeing this in central Pennsylvania? Do, does this matter to all companies of all sizes? 
And, you know, I think it's, as you noted, it's hard to imagine a company today not having some sort of antivirus, but to what lengths do organizations have to go to protect themselves? And, and is really everyone at risk? Everyone's at risk. I've dealt with at least, I would estimate, I don't have an exact number, but about 20 different outbreaks of True. this. And we've had circumstances where we've lost absolutely no data. We've had circumstances when we've lost a few hours worth of data. So just information mm. that the users were working on in the recent time frame. I've never had a customer except one who lost all their data. And that customer, I had warned, they didn't have antivirus and they didn't have a backup system. And I had sent them <laughs> multiple proposals and multiple mm. cautions and emails stating, you must have this. And they just wouldn't invest the time and money in it. And they lost everything. They ended up rebuilding from scratch. But all of my normal customers <laughs> who have antivirus and backup... It wasn't you doing it to teach them a lesson. No, it was okay, definitely that, not right. me. That was a lot of heartache <laughs> on that day. Um, but we can recover the data. And that's the bottom line. There's really no reason to, to have to pay or to lose everything. Right. You're going to lose some things that are in progress at the moment of infection. But really, in the end, it's we can pull things back pretty well. And should companies be doing the, those redundant backups, or is this uh, an instance where storing files on a cloud would, would protect them? Well, cloud can protect you depending on how it's set up. Mm -hmm. If they're taking multiple versions of the file, that's what you need. Because if you're running everything to the cloud, and it's all in real time, and there's no versioning of those files, and they get encrypted, there's no version to skip back to. Okay. So if that's in real time. But if your cloud vendor is keeping versions of your files, then you can pull back from a recent version that hasn't been encrypted. You know, so for instance, and that's why I talked about losing maybe a couple hours worth of work. Let's say you keep a file on the server and it's in progress and you're actually working on it. You save it and it gets hit and it's encrypted. Well, we can go back maybe just for a few hours, but if you were working on it back then... Mm -hmm. then it might, you might have lost a paragraph or two. But you won't have lost the, ma the majority of that file. How about companies that might have credit card information or things like that? So if, if there's, if, you know, obviously we have companies throughout York County that are in retail, professional services, whatever, um, or even legal, you know, attorneys um, that might have sensitive information or credit card information. Is there mechanisms to better protect that personal information that's really third-party information? Sure. And that's kind of out of my wheelhouse, but mm -hmm. I've actually partnered with one of uh, the YCA's members to uh, provide better security on the credit card front. And basically, the way his system works is that end-to-end, -end, everything is encrypted from the moment they input the data, uh, the credit card number, the user data, it's encrypted at that point and sent off. So nothing is stored locally. So you, you're not responsible for that. Once that's sent off, it's sent off to a responsible credit card processor. And gotcha. they would have to protect it against being hacked and encrypted. So really, it's a shifting of the liability. You're moving it out of your local network and putting it on a, uh, a vendor. Okay. So for, I mean, this is a subject that, that's obviously pressing its national we're seeing this, you know, evolve, as you mentioned, you know, kind of in a really malevolent way on a, on a daily basis. For a lot of the small businesses out there that might not have the need for a full-time IT person, um, you know, and, and the IT language gets well beyond their vernacular, I mean, if they reach out to an IT vendor throughout your county, whether it's D2 or whomever, I mean, what, what do you guys typically do 
when you first meet with a, a small business and just to sort of put them at ease and walk them through the process to, to assess all of their needs? Yeah, the first thing we do is typically take a look at what they're dealing with. Okay. Uh, see what computers they have, what servers they have, what, what firewall, what's, what software they're running, what antiviruses, and then check to see how up-to-date everything is. Is it being updated automatically? And uh, just be sure that everything is running as it should. And then each company has their own unique set of circumstances. They're going to be running a database or an accounting package. And then when we need to know about that and how do we protect that? Where is the data stored? Those sorts of questions are the questions we would ask. And then once we have a good idea of what they're dealing with, what they have, and what they need to protect, then we can develop a plan to protect their data. Really, data protection breaks down to about three uh, different layers, I would say, to protect against ransomware. And really, it's the best practice approach when you're dealing with any sort of data to prevent data loss. <clears throat> First off, most companies are running Windows servers. So any modern Windows server has a thing called a shadow copy. And these can be configured, assuming you have enough disk space on your server, to take snapshots of the entire hard drive of that server. So you can set that to take a snapshot every two to three hours, all during the working day. So that way, if at any point in time, a user accidentally deletes a file, maybe they save over a template, or you get hit with ransomware and all your data is encrypted, we can just roll it back to mm. an hour, two hours, three hours ago, and all your data will be as it was. Now, it gets, it, that can get complicated if you're dealing with a database and the exact what happens if in that encryption process, what got encrypted, what didn't get encrypted, but that's sort of on an individual basis. But taking those shadow copies is really an excellent first layer of defense. The second, which most people, I would hope, are doing, are nightly backups. And my preference is to back up the entire server in a snapshot to a network-attached storage device. It's just a small, miniature server, basically, and it stores all of the, the data, uh, usually across several hard drives. So even if one of those hard drives fails, your backup is still left intact. Now, this is always attached to the network, just like your network servers and your PCs. So theoretically, ransomware could, if it gets sophisticated enough, even encrypt your backups, which would leave them hmm. useless. I haven't seen ransomware get that far, and that's my next fear. Yeah, now that they've already right. made it viral where it can spread across the network, my next fear is that they'll actually start attacking our network-attached storage devices. And there's certain things we can do even there, like we hide the backup share, we can... Uh, the back or the network attached storage devices we use don't run Windows. They run a, a Linux operating system, so it kind of helps uh, isolate it from your Windows network. We can still get to it, but we use different credentials and different ways of getting to it. But then the third uh, way is uh, we can take those backups that are that we have taken to the network attached storage device and copy them to USB hard drives, which then are taken off site. Taking your backups off site is an important thing to do, not only because it isolates it from encryption software and from a hacker being able to even get to it. If it's physically taken off the network, you can't hack it, you can't encrypt it. But what happens if your business burns? What happens if a tornado mm -hmm. hits or some other freak accident happens and it wipes out your server room, wipes out your network attached storage device with all your backups, you're, you're sunk. But with that USB backup, we could buy new servers, we could 
uh, spin those backups back up even to virtualized machines and get them up, up and running pretty quickly. So really for, you know, that the, the, the takeaway message for some of these small businesses throughout your county that may continue to push off, you know, talking to an IT vendor just because they're busy, they're doing their daily work, and they're just trying to, you know, make it as a small business really is to talk to that professional, bring them in. It, it, you know, it's not as daunting as it may seem, and really it's it's time well spent, and, and you guys really take over and make it simple, make it easy, and it's your job to re- reduce those barriers. Right, absolutely. Your IT vendor should know all this stuff already, and, gotcha. they, and they should have already proposed it to you. And if they haven't, talk to them about, you know, step us through, you know, just ask them, step me through the question of what happens if we get hit with ransomware. They should be able to just spin off exactly the steps they would take in you don't always necessarily need a disaster recovery plan in print, mm-hmm. but the, your vendor should be uh, familiar enough with your network and what you're doing to be able to pretty much in a paragraph or two tell you exactly how they roll you back up and get you running again. I can remember asking you what happens if we get hit with <laughs> ransomware, and you did just that, so and put me at ease. So yeah, thank you. and I actually love answering that question for our customers who have invested in the proper things. And it's not an expensive uh, rollout. I did this just uh, a week ago for one of my customers. They only have three users on their network. But we purchased an inexpensive network-attached storage unit, and USB hard drives are fairly inexpensive. I think it was for under about $1,000. We were able to get all this set up, and it only took uh, maybe an hour, hour and a half of my time to get it done. And now that business yeah, owner yeah. can relax. They know that they are well protected. So it really is peace of mind. Yeah, it's like an insurance policy, really. Yeah, right. So uh, for everyone listening out there, we've been talking today with uh, Robert Brooks of D2 Computers, talking about ransomware, cybersecurity, how to protect your business. So please, um, uh, hopefully you're listening to this uh, on a secured device and you've <laughs> taken the steps. But if not, talk to one of your uh, uh, neighborhood IT vendors throughout your county. Uh, and Robert, I can attest, is an excellent person to talk to. So we're going to wrap this up, but we try to wrap these up with a lightning round that I didn't uh, tell you the questions in advance of. Oh, boy. <laughs> so it's going to be fun. So um, <clears throat> so very quickly, uh, Robert, what is your favorite guilty pleasure food? Oh, dark chocolate. Okay. What is the song that you inevitably will sing in the shower? Oh, my. That's not a song. <laughs> All right. All right. You're singing a song. I'm going to skip that one. All right. Pass. You can use a lifeline. Um, This is a good one. Apple or PC? PC. Oh, God. I knew it. It kills me. Um, So iPhone or or something else? I actually just switched, uh, I guess, about a year ago to the (laughs) iPhone. I knew it. (laughs) I I, I am happy with both uh, Android devices and Apple devices. Yeah, to I, get that disclaimer in I, there. I, I yeah. Well, I I was tired of being all thumbs with the <laughs> iPhone and the iOS, so I decided the best way to just dive in and get an iPhone. And I will say, from an IT perspective, uh, supporting iPhones is a lot easier than the Androids, mm-hmm. for one simple reason: they're all the same. So I can pick up my iPhone and I can walk you through over the phone exactly what button to push. Whereas mm-hmm. the Androids are all just a little bit different. So, so it you can haven't be... lost your street cred yet? No, no. So right. it, it, this is devi- this is off the the lightning round, but is it true that apples are less susceptible to viruses, virus, viral attacks than than non-apple devices? 
Yes, that okay. is true. And it's mostly a market share problem or gotcha. market share, uh, not problem, but issue in that if you're, if you're trying to make a virus, you want it to hit the biggest share gotcha. possible. So. Okay. All right, back to it. So if you uh, were able to ha- have a beer with any one of these individuals, who would it be? Bill Gates, Mark Zuckerberg, or Steve Jobs, assuming he was still with us? Um, I think Zuckerberg, because I think uh, he's got a better handle on where the future is going. Hmm, very cool. Um, are you still on MySpace? I've never been on MySpace. <laughs> sure. Was Tom your only friend? Uh, uh, <clears throat> all right. Um, and when playing Oregon Trail, would you ford the river or would you wait and pay for the ferry? Ford the river. Okay, It's more fun. All right, ladies and gentlemen, you heard it direct from Robert Brooks of D2 Computers. Thanks for taking time out of your day to be with us today and help uh, provide some good, valuable info to our members. Thank you. Cool. Thanks. Bye. Thank you for listening to this edition of the Weiss EA podcast series produced by Bold Creative Media. For more information, visit us on our website at www.ycea-pa.org or call us anytime and talk to one of our experienced staff members at 717-848-4000. And always remember to start here.